Welcome to the Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers, both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past. There were Baptist preachers that have inspired men like myself for years to preach the Word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic principles. Our speaker in the Baptist pulpit today is Pastor Jerry Ross. Pastor Jerry Ross was saved at a young age at a church in Brazil, Indiana. And then he was called to preach shortly after there, 1979. And then after graduating from Bible College, 1987, he entered into the full-time gospel ministry. Been preaching over 30 years. He pastors now at Blessed Hope Baptist Church in Jasonville, Indiana. Pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you as you listen to it. enjoyed the preaching conference. I enjoyed the other men of God that have stood and challenged us. I missed a couple messages last night. Uh, snuck home real quick down to Jasonville. I hadn't been in my pulpit for two weeks and I honestly just wanted to go see my people. And so I uh, showed up in the pulpit, looked out across the auditorium, cried a while, shared the blessings of the, of the uh, uh, missions trip with them. And uh, got back in the truck and headed back up this way. But it's just been a delight. And uh, you got something good here. Do you understand that? Sometimes, you know, if you're just here all the time, it's easy to just take things for granted. It's good to have somebody come from the outside and look around and tell you, listen, thank God for what you have here. And uh, praise the Lord for it. Support the leadership here. Pray for your preacher. Encourage one another. Just keep going hard after souls and do it doing what this ministry has done now for decades and uh, uh, appreciate it. I want to say also just a quick thank you to everybody that's made my time here such a blessing and, and appreciate it. Accommodations are wonderful and uh, people are so kind, hospitable here. And every time I pull into the property, um, I, I sense the presence of the Lord. That's something special, by the way. A group of Christians many, many decades ago hollowed this ground, set it aside for the use of preaching the gospel and winning people to Christ and discipling people to maturity. And and you can sense the prayers that have preceded this meeting. And so thank you for those of you that have prayed in anticipation of what the Lord has done and is going to do tonight. And so it's been a delight. Thank you for 
for the, the preachers that have preached and challenged me. It's been good. I've loved the emphasis on the Word of God. Folks, listen, and young preachers, just hear me out. You know what? Just learn to trust the Bible. Just learn to trust the Bible. You know what? If you'll just consistently teach and preach, well, preacher, it just doesn't seem like change is happening, and just teach and preach the Word of God. Do it consistently. Trust the Word of God. The Word of God still changes people's lives. The Word of God still draws sinners to salvation. Just, just, you don't, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to come up with something new. Just stick to the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God and let it do the miraculous work that it's always done in the hearts of people. And so I love the emphasis and the thank you for the time I've gotten to enjoy here. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 18 tonight. 1 Kings chapter number 18. I want to congratulate also and thank all of the good people of Fairhaven Baptist Church behind the scenes. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of preparation. Thank you, staff. Thank you, pastor, pastor's wife. Appreciate all the work that's gone into this. And something like this just doesn't happen, folks. And I appreciate all of you that have served behind the scenes. And the spotlight's not touched you during the whole thing, but I promise you, God has noticed and God has watched and God always rewards those that are willing to serve in the shadows. And so thank you so much for that. First Kings chapter 18, we'll begin in verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. Nahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house, and Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah took an hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land and to all fountains of water and to all brooks, preventure. We may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. So... They divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him and fell on his face and said, Art thou that my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What have I sinned that thou wouldst deliver thy servant to the hand of Ahab to slay me? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom, whether my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said, He is not there, he took an oath of the kingdoms and nations that they found thee not. And now thou sayest, Go tell thy Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from thee that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee, whether I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid an hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. 
And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, behold whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing story. Thank you for the life of a man by the name of Elijah. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us, dear God, to use this last message to blow the trumpet of warning. I pray, Lord, that we would leave tonight as men of God, those of us that pastor churches, those of us that have this sacred call of preaching the gospel, Lord, that we would reaffirm some things in our life and make some decisions concerning the type of a preacher that we will be. And then, Lord, for the great support system around us, all of the folks and people that you've brought to us, Lord, I pray, dear Lord, that you would help, Lord, those that feel the pew to be thankful that they have an Elijah, if God has blessed them with one and that they would support that kind of a man of God and those that stand for the Lord without compromise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This chapter tells a story. It's a true story. It's a classic story of confrontation and conflict and Christian courage. In 1 Kings 18, it contains the story of a holy prophet who we know by the name of Elijah. Also tells us of a wicked and worldly and woman whoop king who goes by the name of Ahab. It's the story of 850 fanatical and frenzied false prophets of a pagan little g-god by the name of Baal. And it's the story of a great gathering of God's people. God's people who at this time were double-minded and mute-mouthed onlookers who wouldn't stand with the man of God. These people sadly represent the chosen people of God. But can I say this? Of all of the stories in the Bible, boy, this is right in the list of my top ten. I love this story. This is a story of good versus evil. This is a story of God versus Baal. Of prevailing prayer versus vain repetition. Of fire versus fake. It's the story of slain bullocks and stone altars and screaming, slashing madmen. And a, and a deaf false deity and a sarcastic taunting preacher. Maybe that's why I like it. <laughs> Story of 12 barrels of wet water and a 63-word prayer. And then a miracle from the throne of God. A miracle of fire that splits the skies and 
falls with such power that it vexes and victimizes and vaporizes a prophet's altar. By the time the story's finished, there's nothing left, nothing left. Nothing but a humiliated king and a prostrate and repentant people. Nothing but a blood-splashed weary prophet standing beside a pile of decapitated heads and By the way, there's one more thing that remains. At the end of this story, the air is thick with one final unmistakable message. And that's this. In the end, God always wins. Now, tonight we're not going to make it to the top of the mountain. We're not going to see this confrontation. Tonight's message will focus on the events leading up to this confrontation. In particular, I want to draw your attention to the four types of of prophets that are introduced in the first 20 verses of this chapter. Pray for me, please, as I preach a message on the four prophets of Mount Carmel, the four prophets of Mount Carmel. Number one, I want to draw your attention to the counterfeit prophets. We'll spend a little time on these prophets. A little time, because that's all that they are deserving of. You look in verse number 19 and 20. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel to Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal 450 and the prophets of the groves 400 which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Who are these counterfeit prophets? Well, they're the Joel Osteens and Joyce Myers of their day. They're the pretenders and the posers, the phony prophets that are found in every generation. These are men and women who mount pulpits every Lord's Day, all claiming to represent God as they stand up and misrepresent His Word. These are represented in our state, the state of Indiana, by the 125 so-called clergy who three years ago during the battle in Indiana at the State House, the battle over our traditional marriage amendment, 25 counterfeit clergy who made an appearance at our State House and carried a signed letter to our governor urging him and others to embrace, to embrace the sodomite lifestyle. False prophets. We found counterfeit prophets and First Kings chapter number 18, these 850 misfits dare take upon them the title of a prophet. They profane the office. They claim divine knowledge while leading people to eternal damnation. We should not be shocked. The Bible's filled with razor edge warnings about these false prophets in Second Corinthians chapter 11, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing, listen, if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Just as God has his ministers, the devil has his ministers. And by the way, I'm a little sad to say this, but Brother Lewis, I wonder if the devil's having more luck calling men into his service than it seems to be that God is getting young men to surrender into God's service. We shouldn't be shocked by counterfeits. 
The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 1, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Gospel perverts. Stand behind pulpits and preach a gospel that's not a gospel. But though we or an angel of heaven from heaven preach any other gospel unto you that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said also, say, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. In Jude, we are warned that in the last days there will be many false ministers, false teachers that serve a false God. And God in turn addresses them and in no uncertain terms. In Jude, we are warned that in the last days they would come. Jude warns us, woe unto them, for they've gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and are perished in the gainsaying of Kor. He goes on to call them spots in your feast, clouds without rain, carried about of winds, trees without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. God ends his description of these false prophets with this promise of judgment. Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all, to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Now, I have them in my community and you have them in your community. Go ahead if you want to. Join the ministerial association. Lock arms with these false prophets. But I don't want anything to do with them. We have nothing in common. Nothing in common. First prophets are the counterfeit prophets and I'm done with them. So let's get them off the stage. Let's get them out. Run them out of the building. Get them off the property. I'm done with them. Be careful who you're hobnobbing with, sir. Be careful who you're joining forces with. Be careful who you're locking arms with. Because these men that stood this day against the prophet of God dared to wear the title of prophets, but they were counterfeit prophets. They were prophets of the devil. And we have nothing in common. Secondly, I want to draw your attention to the cowardly prophet. The cowardly prophet. Look, if you will, in verse 3 and verse 4. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was governor of his house. You say, preacher, you're not going to pick on Obadiah, are you? Put your seatbelt on. Yes, I am. Well, preacher, the Lord says some good things about him. Didn't you notice, uh, didn't you notice the parentheses here? Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Let me say this about compromising preachers or cowardly preachers, I should say, cowardly preachers, is that, you know what, it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be some things, good things that you can say about them. But Obadiah encouraged some young prophets to make a bad decision. So we'll get to Obadiah in just a second. Notice, if you will, in the parentheses here, Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took an hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with 
bread and water. Now I want to introduce you to these cave prophets. I call them the cowardly prophets. Their uh, motto was this, when the going gets tough, the cowards head to the cave. These are the preachers that are dipping their cells and quieting their voices and hiding in their studies while the nation is going to hell in a handbasket. You can come and argue with me the wisdom of, of them hiding, considering the conditions, considering what was happening, considering Jezebel's desire to slay them. But I want to push back on that for a little bit here. Because there was a day when the Lord came to Elijah and said, I, I want you to go up to Mount Carmel. And I want you to stand for me. The Bible says that the word of God went out throughout all of Israel. I don't think these boys, these hundred prophets that are hiding in a cave, didn't know that there was going to be a confrontation on Mount Carmel. I don't think that they didn't realize that Elijah was getting ready to go up there and stand up one against 850. I've often wondered, preacher, where this cave was. I wonder if maybe they could look out the, the, the door of this cave, the opening of this cave, and watch old Elijah climbing that mountain. Somebody was bringing them bread. Somebody was bringing them water. They weren't bringing them news also. So where are these boys when a, the old man is climbing up the mountain? Where are these young preachers when Elijah's walking up that mountain by himself? Come on now. Were they just hiding out in the cave? Were they criticizing the old man of God? They probably had Wi-Fi. Were they in there blogging? Talking about what was wrong with the old generation of preachers that actually have climbed some mountains and faced down some false prophets and prayed some prayers and called down fire. Easiest thing in the world is to hide in a cave and preach against or talk against men that are actually up on the mountain facing the opposition. Be careful who you want to criticize from the former generation. Son, what have you done? Easiest thing in the world is to become a chief critic of the generations that have come before you. Can I make a suggestion to you? Stop criticizing them. Sit down at their feet and learn something from them. Elijah climbing up that mountain. These were the boys that were part of the school of the prophets. These are the boys that Elijah had had some bearing, some influence in their life. I don't want to read into the scripture what's not there, but I can't help but wonder as Elijah's climbing that mountain and he's looking up there at 850 prophets that are waiting up there for him and they're already cutting themselves and slashing and cursing him and cursing his God. I wonder if about halfway up that mountain he doesn't kind of stop just to catch his breath a little bit. He's not as young as he used to be. And maybe he pauses as he's catching his breath and he's looking around thinking, where are them boys at? Wonder what it would have meant to that old man of God if just one of them boys, if just one of them boys would have been peeking out of that cave and what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. I think this is a suicide mission. I don't even think God's in it. 
He's doing something foolish. It's so much safer. It's so much safer. It's so much safer. I've got a whole generation that's wanting to take the safe route. I got a call the other day from a preacher, and he said, Brother Ross, I was on your website. I said, okay. And he said, you're posting your messages on your website. And I said, yes, we have done that for a lot of years. He said, I went to a... a, a a uh, gathering of preachers and they had some lawyer, Christian lawyer, get up and tell us we better start taking our sermons off of the website. Because one of these days they're going to pull some of the stuff that we say, uh, have said in a time of increased persecution that's coming and, and this could cost you your freedom and you could go to jail over this and go to jail over that. And I'm sitting there listening to this thinking to myself, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Since when are we supposed to be hiding? Listen, I meant what I said when I preached those messages. If it came from the word of God, then it's right, it's true. Who do we have to apologize to? You better understand this, young men. When the sodomites all came out of the closet here a few years ago, they didn't just come out of the closet and shut the door. They came out of the closet, they're holding the door open, and they're wanting to put me and you in the very closet that they came out of. I'm not going in a closet. I'm talking to some of you men that you've backed off preaching on some things that you used to preach against. Well, you don't understand, preacher. Times has changed. Well, God hasn't. Right hasn't. Wrong hasn't changed. Maybe one of the reasons that we're watching sin go rampant across this country is because we don't have some men that'll stand up and, and climb a, a mountain and stand up against, well, preacher, we're outnumbered. So was he. So was he. But preacher, it's getting dangerous. What do you call this? You young preachers, I'm going to throw the, listen, I'm throwing the gauntlet down at your feet. I don't know. Listen, I know me. I, I, I know Jerry Ross. Okay, the good, the bad, the ugly. I know Jerry Ross. And I knew what I know what I was when I was 18, 19, 20 years old prepping for the ministry. And, and Brother Lewis, I wasn't perfect. Oh, my goodness sakes, a mess. In many areas, a mess. But good night. My daddy raised a man. I'm going to tell you something. If I'd have been in one of those caves and I'd have looked out that I, I believe this. I believe with all my heart. If I'd have looked out that opening of that cave and I'd watch that old preacher and he's climbing that mountain fixing to go 850 against one, I think I'd have said, boys, I think I'll take a walk. Well, where are you going? It's time, time for us to stand. Do what you want to do. You can hide in here if you want to, but it's time to, to, to take a stand. What would it have meant? To Elijah, if about halfway up that hill, some young preacher come running up, catching him up. He turn around, smile, and say, "Son, what are you doing?" I don't know. I thought I might just take a walk with you, preacher. Now we know how the story ends, but Elijah, halfway up that mountain, didn't know how it was going to end. Jezebel had cut off some heads. Maybe he looked at that young preacher and said, "Son, I'm going to tell you right now." I don't know how this thing's going to end. Maybe that young man would have looked at him and said, Preacher, I don't know either. But by the time the sun sets tonight, we're going to have a story to tell. 
we may be telling it down here. Or we may be telling it up there. But we're going to have a story to tell. What have you done for God? Hey, young man, tell me the stories. Do you have any stories to tell? Come on, preachers. When's the last time you could really stand up and tell a story of standing up for the Lord? Standing against sin. Have you backed off preaching some things in your pulpit because you're trying to keep people in your church? Every once in a while, you know what we need to do? Listen, by the way, those those of you that are, are good people and, and you're members of the church and you're lay people, let me tell you something. You'll amen your preacher preaching against any sin until it starts in your family somewhere. And then all of a sudden you tighten up on it. Come on now. And by the way, this is what I hear. Well, preacher, you know what? You shouldn't preach about this because this is going on in this family. You shouldn't preach about this because this is going on in the church right now. It's almost like if anybody's involved in anything in our church, we've bought into the lie that we're out of place to confront it from the pulpit. Now listen to what I'm saying. This whole idea, well, we've got to systematically do this because if we don't systematically do it, we might be accused of actually walking to the pulpit, open the Bible, and addressing the sin that's present in our church. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, which sins did he confront? All the sins that was going on in Philippi. When he addressed the Galatians, Which sins did he confront? Come on, we're hiding behind some excuses because we've lost the guts to walk up behind our pulpits and take care of the sin that's going on in our churches. Amen. So every once in a while, I'll just get up and kind of clear the air. And I'll say, folks, listen to me. The one thing I don't want to be accused of at Blessed Oak Baptist Church is personally going after anybody. So once a month at the end of the month, because I'm not on Facebook and I don't know the all of the sins that you and your mom and dad or your brothers and sisters or your children or your grandchildren might be involved in. So at the end of every month, we're going to pass out a form. And I want you to list all of the sins that's going on in your family so that I can then have all of those put on a spreadsheet and know for the next month what I can't preach against. Come on now. Go back home and take care of business. Go back home and start preaching, thus saith the Lord. It's your job to watch for their souls. So something's going on in your church and you've lost the courage to stand up and preach against. Excuse me, excuse me, sir, but you are hiding in a cave. Elijah walked right up to the top of that mountain, turned around and said, if God be God, then serve him. If Baal be him, Baal be God, serve him. And those people stood back and stared at him and wouldn't answer him a word. And the problem is, is that we've, we've created, a, we've created a culture and we've created an environment in the average church where people don't have to choose a side anymore. But that's not Bible preaching. Bible preaching ought to make you have to choose some things. That was all free, amen. Have you gone coward? You backed off some things? 
You find yourself in your study preparing a message. Man, that's good. That's good. Woo, that's good. Oh, wait a minute. Boy, if I hit that, Mrs. So-and-so, she might get a little upset at me. And so better not. I'll skip that verse. And then, and then, well, that's good. And that's, oh, man, that needs to, oh, wait a minute. I think somebody's grandson, he's a good tither. I bet, oh, wait a minute. Why, why don't you quit? Why don't you get out of the pulpit? Why don't you go get an honest job? Amen. What we need is men to stand in their pulpits and say, Thus saith the Lord without fear or favor. Preach against sin. Call it by name. Preach against the sins in your church. In your people's lives. Hold them to account. Amen. Don't be a coward. Don't be a coward. Watching that old prophet walk up that hill. There's not one young man that will go up and stand by that preacher. Come on now. We give you some good advice, young people. Stand by the man of God. I'm telling you, stand by the man of God. Just stand by him. I want to draw your attention to the compromising prophet. Now we're going to get on to Obadiah. Verse number 3, And Ahab called Obadiah, which was governor of his house. Stop! What? He was governor of his house? You are a prophet? By the way, I'm not putting Obadiah over here in the counterfeit prophets. He was a prophet. I believe he served the true and living God. By the way, I believe there was a measure of the fear of the Lord in him. Because the Bible says that he feared the Lord. The problem with compromising preachers is there's always a, a handful of things that they are doing right. And they tend to bring these things up to you. Obadiah brought it up. Did you not hear that I hid those prophets in the cave? Isn't it interesting, though, that when young preachers start hanging around a compromising preacher, they start turning into cowardly preachers. That's why I say to our young preachers, be careful which conferences you're trotting to across the country. You start hanging around compromisers, you're going to turn into a coward. I mean, come on, folks. If you were, if he was an Elijah type prophet, could he have held a position of governor in Ahab's house? I don't know all the housing arrangements and how it all worked out back in these days. And let me say this, if I was married to Jezebel, I'd build her a separate house. I certainly would have done that far, far away. Amen. But, but if you're governor of Ahab's house, then how in the world do you not at some point in time be rubbing shoulders with Jezebel? What are you saying, preacher? You're not keeping this position if you're opening your mouth and saying what you ought to be saying. Yeah, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. The Bible says that I believe it. Obadiah did a good thing in trying to protect those prophets. I get it. But that doesn't mean he wasn't a compromiser. You say, preacher, I'm going to need more Bible. Good, I got some for you. Let's keep reading. For it was so, oh, let's jump down. Verse number five. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, go into the land and to all the fountains of water and all brooks. Preadventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive. And we loose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass Throughout it, Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. Stop! 
Whose orders is this prophet, prophet following? Who's he getting his orders from? Obadiah says, hey, I need you. Yes, sir. Now I'm going to send you the yes, sir. Preacher, I need more Bible. Good, I got some more for you, all right? Verse 7, and as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him. And he knew him and fell on his face and said this. By, by the way, listen, this is how compromisers do. When a compromiser preacher gets near an Elijah, he wants to act like he's like him. All right? So once he say, art thou that my Lord Elijah? But the thing about it is, listen, we might not always call you on it. But you're not fooling old preachers. You know, you want to come to a meeting like this and fit into old-time religion, but where are you going to be in three months? What other meeting are you sneaking off to? Who else are you associating with? And boy, when they come around us, oh boy, I tell you, brother, I appreciate so much the stand you take. Well, then why don't you take them? Preacher, I, I, Brother Ross, I hear this all up. I had such respect for your dad. I had such, I thought, what do you mean you had respect for my dad? You won't stand for what my dad stood for. You won't preach what my daddy preached. It's amazing how compromisers still want to rub shoulders and, and in their ill stations grab some old-time religion guys. And, and by the way, I, I, I found myself in this situation a couple times, Brother Lewis, where some of the meetings all of a sudden I'm getting invited to, I begin to feel like Jared, they want Jerry Ross here because they want one token old-time religion guy. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in that. Are you with me? Everybody okay? Okay, breathe out, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. Listen, you better make up your mind. Double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. You come to a conference like this, and this is a great conference to come to. You you know what? You're going to have the Word of God, the importance of the Word of God, old-time religion, those things reinforced, good, solid music. But then you want to run over to Ideal Day, too? Oh, I don't go to the meeting. You want to go online to watch Ideal Day, too? Better figure some things out. Obadiah's over here in the house of Ahab. And then when he runs in Elijah, oh, my Lord Elijah, my Lord Elijah. Now notice what Elijah said, because you don't fool the old preachers. Verse 8, and he answered him, I am. Art thou that my Lord Elijah? He said, I am. Go tell what? Thy Lord. Elijah wasn't having any of that stuff, and I'm not having any of it. Well, a guy wants to come over, you know, and rub shoulders and act like he's part of us. I'll call him on it. These young preachers, I'll call them on it. We need to call some of these young preachers on it. Oh, Brother Ross, I appreciate it. Well, I'll tell you what, you're saying all this. But you appreciate it. Why are you hobnobbing with those so-and-so over here? Son, listen, I got in the car and drove all the way to a Bible college 10 years ago. Used to be a decent Bible college. And I sat in the, in the, in the office, or in the office of the pastor and sat down and said, listen to me. Will you make up your mind who and what you are? 
Because you're coming to churches like mine and wanting to recruit students, but you're also going into Southern... I found out that they were having students matriculated into their college that were from denominational Southern Baptist here. I said, is that true or not? I, I didn't call him on the phone. I drove all the way, several states, set this office and said, is it true or not? And I told him, I said, listen, I didn't come here to tell you how to run your ministry. That's between you and God. I'm here, come here to tell you this. Don't play both sides of the fence. If you're an independent fundamental Baptist, then be an independent fundamental Baptist. By the way, that means being a separatist too. But, you know, somebody said, you know, some of these independent fundamental Baptists, they're they're going back to the Southern Baptist Convention. And you know what I say? Good, go! It's less confusing that way. Take independent fundamental Baptist. We ought to take it off our side. Please do. You're not us anyway. I'm talking about compromising, folks. We've got too much compromise going on. But preacher, he wasn't all that bad. He feared the Lord greatly. You know, my daddy used to say this to me. He said, Jerry, I'm not bothered by what most preachers are saying nowadays. What bothers me is not what they are saying. What bothers me is what they won't say. If you can make yourself at home in Ahab's house, then you're a compromiser. If you can take a position as governor of Jezebel's house, then you're not preaching what you ought to preach. You're not preaching what you ought to preach. Face it, folks, Obadiah was bought and paid for. He no longer served God, but was doing the bidding of a wicked king. He compromised, compromised, compromised for comfort and popularity, taking orders from Ahab while turning his back on the commandments of God. Way too much compromise in our churches. Way too much compromise in our churches. Let me tell you seven words that are absolutely destroying Biblical Christianity and old-time religion. I'm going to give you seven words that I'm sick of hearing that we need to start pushing back on. Here they are, seven words. I don't see anything wrong with that. Actually, it's eight words because they always say, well, (laughs) well, well, well. I don't see anything wrong with that. Oh, well, excuse me. Then let's just all give up our convictions. Because, listen, you know why that statement's so wrong? First of all, you better take a look at the first word. I. I mean, people are just announcing. I mean, they're on, they're on, they're on chat rooms. They're on websites. All of a sudden, I don't see anything wrong with drinking wine. I don't see anything wrong with going to the movies. I don't see anything wrong. Folks, listen to me. That's, there's entire websites. They ought to be called. I don't see anything wrong with it. I never start with you. Amen. It doesn't matter what I see or what I don't see or what I think or what I don't think. And, and excuse me, but your opinion's just not all that important to me. And my personal opinion shouldn't be that important to you. You know what we ought to do? We ought to go to the Word of God and say, forget I and we and you, and let's start with God. I, what's the next two words? Don't see. Isn't that the problem in the book of Judges where every man began to do what was right in his own eyes? 
Anything wrong with that? Let me give you a great way to answer that. Listen, folks, you ought not to ever decide whether or not you ought to be involved in something based on the absence of a negative, but the overwhelming presence of a positive. Stop telling me what you... Look, I don't see anything wrong with that. Listen, here's the answer. What is right with it? What is right with it? No, we have a rule in our Christian school. The young ladies, they when they wear their skirts, there's no slits in them. Okay, and one of the young ladies that came in from a different church, I don't care if you draw lines differently, but you better have Bible reasons for what you're doing. And this young lady, they matriculated in, they moved from a different church, and they came in, and as soon as they found that out, that caused a problem. And all of a sudden, that became something to push against and push back at. And this one teenage girl finally came to me. I was a youth pastor at the time, and Oversaw our Christian school and so for preacher, I, I, brother Jerry, I'm, I'm not trying to be your best. I just want to know what's wrong with it. What's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? And I said, I need you to go back to your desk right now and tell and write down the reasons that it's right. Why is it right? There's nothing wrong with it. Then why don't me and you just do it? Why? Why, why haven't that? Why can't guys do it? Can't we put a slit in our I mean, as long as it's below the knee, we can just put a slit and, you know, that way when we walk, our little hairy legs can pop in and out. And... I mean, have you ever thought who was the first person that just, you know, had a skirt and just went? <laughs> Started somewhere. Somebody did it. So I could be the one that starts a new trend. I'm going to go home and take my, my suit pants. And Sunday, I'm going to walk onto the platform. Everybody's going to be gone. Then I'll stand up and get defensive and say, well, I dare you to tell me what's wrong with it. What's wrong with it? Show me a verse in the Bible. Come on, where it says, thou shalt not. Well, I can't show you a verse in the Bible that as a pastor that, that, that says, I mean, I mean, tells you, you cannot dress up in a big chicken suit. <laughs> Walk down the main street of your hometown and going, clack, 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 clack. There's not one verse in the Bible that says, you can't do that. But if you do it, people are going to think you're an idiot. Do you ever think that God may have just created us with enough common sense that maybe we ought to stop saying, instead of doing something stupid and then standing in the seat of judgment and say, I dare anybody to prove that there's anything wrong with that, no matter how stupid it is. That maybe we ought to just say, if I'm going to cut slits in my slacks and walk across here, and by the way, the eyes of everybody in this auditorium for at least a very brief time would be looking straight at my legs until you jumped up and ran back and hurled into the bathroom, amen. <laughs> but every time I take a step, if flesh is flashing and that's where your eyes are drawn, excuse me, why don't we use some common sense? Amen. That's why Paul wrote one time, Doth not nature itself teach thee? 
You know what he was saying? He's saying, good night. There ought not to have to be a command on stuff that ought to be so obviously idiotic and carnal. And what I'm saying is, folks, there's way too much compromising going on. Way too much compromising going on. Thank you for keeping your music right here. You can go stand at the back of a honky-tonk on a Saturday night and go stand at the front door of a church on a Sunday morning. There isn't a marked difference in the kind of music you're hearing coming from both places. Then that church is compromised. Preacher, I just think that there's a gray area here. I hear so much about gray areas. Oh, You should have been raised in the home of Robert Ross. I don't even know if he knew the color gray existed. <laughs> and, and I want to say this. I don't believe that there are nearly as many gray areas as we want to say. I think the Bible, either through direct command or umbrella precepts, pretty much makes everything either right or wrong, black or white. Now there might be, there might be, if I was, when I was growing up, maybe there was a little gray area and a couple of things where people had to use discernment, but now people have grown that gray area and they're grown the gray area and they've grown it and grown it and everything's gray. I don't, I'm going to tell you, I don't believe there's nearly the gray areas that people want to talk about, but if there is, if I decided to give it to you, then instead of black and white making a decision against it, right and wrong, then I guess you've got to make a decision about black, gray, or white. And why wouldn't you still come all the way over here where there's no question? Amen. And by the way, I'll get off this, but let me just ask you this. Isn't gray just a shade of black? That'll settle a lot of stuff for you young people. I'm talking about those of you that hit that age now. And all of a sudden, you got to push back on everything mom and dad has and every rule. I just don't understand. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I just don't understand. That's because your brain's not developed all the way yet. Your mom and dad have more brains in their little finger than you have in your whole body. They, listen, just listen to them. Listen to them. A lot of things I didn't understand as a young man, why my mom and dad drew certain lines. By the way, one of these days you get married and have kids, some things are going to get real clear to you. But till then, you just need to trust the authorities God's put in your life. Amen. Amen. Compromising, compromising, compromising. It's everywhere. Then we get to the courageous prophet. Aren't you glad that we can end with this? I like old Elijah. I like so many things about Elijah. He may be my favorite character outside of the Lord Jesus Christ in the entire Bible. If I preached on the life of Elijah, I'd probably get lost and preach on it for five years. I, I love this man. I love that he stood where he stood. What's the attributes of a courageous prophet? Briefly, Elijah was there. I like what he said in verse Seven and eight. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him and he knew him and fell on his face and said, Art thou that my Lord Elijah? And he answered, I am. Go tell thy Lord. Behold, Elijah is here. We need in every single community in America an Elijah that just will go there and stay there. And stand there. For we're desperate for Elijah. 
Well, preacher, I'm going to go start a church, and after five years, I'm going to try to run this much. And I, and I got thinking after five years, maybe I could run this, and here's my program. This is what. Now, let me give you your five year goal. Still be there. Amen. You young preachers, if you in this meeting talk to a man of God, a preacher that's been in the ministry more than 25 years, you know what you ought to do? You ought to put your hand up and say, Thank you, sir. God bless you for your faithfulness. Because I'm going to tell you something, putting 25 plus years in the ministry, it's not happening much anymore. Hey, in the ministry, there's a lot of a lot of what I call quitting places. And there's going to be five or six times in every, listen, some guy in here, the men in this room that's been in the ministry 40 plus years, I promise you in their life, there was five or six times where it had been easier to quit than go on. I'm tired of quitters. You know what? It takes courage just to stay in the ministry. Weather the storms. I mean, you're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be attacked. He runs into Ahab, and the first thing that Ahab does is begin to throw accusations at him. Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Here's the one man that's, that's preaching the right thing that could save a nation, and he's the one that they've spread all over the country. He's the problem with the nation. Sound familiar? Thank God for courageous preachers. Thank God for preachers that are just there, that'll just stand, that'll just stay in the ministry, that'll just stay put. Sir, you may have come here discouraged, but don't quit. Preachers, I got problems going on in the church. With God's grace, face them down. Don't quit. Elijah was there. Number two, Elijah was filled and controlled by the Spirit of God. I like what Obadiah's greatest concern was. He says in verse number 11, Now thou sayest, Go tell thy Lord, Behold, Elijah is here, and it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from thee, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whether I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab, he cannot find thee, he shall slay me, but I am thy servant, but I thy servant fear the Lord for my youth. Let me tell you the difference between Obadiah and Elijah. From a compromiser to a courageous prophet is what when Ahab hollered, Obadiah came running. When Ahab directed, Obadiah carried out his direction. You know what he said? I know you. And the Spirit of God, if he whispers in your ear that you need to go somewhere, you'll go. That's the difference between a man of God and a man that's controlled by... Listen, I want to help some of you because I know. And there's all kinds of different church situations. And I can't pastor your church and you can't pastor mine. But there's too many preachers are being controlled by two or three families in your church. And you need to figure out who you're serving. Too many deacon boards. Boy, I'm going to tell you, Southern Indiana is full of these little Baptist churches that are run, being held hostage by two or three or four deacons. They bring these preachers in, put a big smile on their face, vote them in, act like they're the greatest thing in the world, six months of honeymoon. 18 months of meat grinder. Then they throw them out on the street and go call another one in to do it again to them. Those churches have Ichabog written on them. They've been, there's nothing's happened to them for, and by the way, you walking in there probably ain't going to change the situation. You know, it's easier to give birth than to raise the dead. Amen. Amen. Good. Come on. Amen. Say, preacher, I, I, preacher, I, you're describing my situation. Me and my wife, 
we're just not feeling like we're welcome there. Well, you and God have something in common. God hasn't been welcome there in a long time. It's good. It's good. But man, if you've got to, if you've got to take a pulpit, let me tell you, I had an old preacher daddy. My daddy was an Elijah. I was raised by an Elijah. Amen. My dad was saved, wasn't saved until he was 26 years of age. Okay? I was born into a family of unbelievers. Five years of age, my mom and dad got saved. What's the greatest thing your mom and dad ever did for you? Receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Our family was completely transformed, changed. But brother, we got saved in a little American Baptist church. Thank God it had an old preacher that at least preached the gospel. Well, my dad went from being an American Baptist. Then when they got, you know, two years was up, so they had to get rid of that preacher. But my dad loved that preacher, so they went into town. They didn't know what to do. They didn't have the background some of you had. They were trying to figure it out. So he went into town and joined the Southern Baptist Church. That preacher, man, he, I'm going to tell you something. He, I couldn't attend that church today. Neither could any of you. But, man, he had a heart for souls, and he put that in us. He had a heart for souls. But two years finished up and they needed to throw him out. My dad surrendered to preach in a Southern Baptist church. Don't worry, I'm getting to a good part of the story. I'm making a lot of you nervous right now. I didn't tell you I was a Southern Baptist by the time. <laughs> My dad surrendered to preach in that church. He came forward. That little country preacher had never had anybody surrender to preach. He didn't even know what to do with him. My dad just busted out one night, come up and shook his preacher's hand, said, I'm called to preach. He said, oh, good. (laughs) So he told the people, Brother Bob here, he feels like he's called to preach. All the people were like, (laughs) so they all come up and shook his hand. We were all, our families, he what? (laughs) He did what? What does that even mean? <laughs> so the preacher said, <laughs> my dad said, the preacher said, uh, now what do I do? He's like, um, well, you probably ought to get some messages. <laughs> no, I'm telling you the truth. This is how it happened. He said, okay, can you help me with that? Yeah, I think I can help you so. And, well, then what do I do? Well, Let's let you try some out here. See how you do. He said, okay, and then what? Well, there's got to be a church out there somewhere that needs somebody. He said, that was the plan. That was the plan. (laughs) So my dad went home, just started studying the Bible, man. Just studying. Just writing out stuff and studying. Just studying the Bible. Just getting into the Bible. He's writing out messages. And... uh, he preached a few times. After about a year, the preacher said, hey, I found a little church. They need a preacher. So my dad's first church was a little country American Baptist church. Yeah. I like it. The air feels like it went out of the room. So. <laughs> hey, man. And so my dad went to this little American Baptist church, and he didn't know hardly any Bible, but he knew that he was saved. He knew that God could save people. And so for about the first year, all he did was just preach salvation. I mean, almost every message was a salvation message. But what was really neat about that is a lot of people started getting saved. But he's still working a, a full-time job. It's a small church. And so 
My dad started listening to Christian radio. Help us. Christian radio. Yeah. <laughs> this would have been the late, early 60s, 70s. But in between, in between, put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the water. Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the sea. Come on, some of you got that. Take a look at yourself. And you can look at others differently. By putting your hand in... Why don't your choir do that one of these days? I'm going to tell you, drum lady could get in on that one, man. She'd be flipping them, man. Bam, Get something going on here. Then we got a little more conservative, you know. They baptized Jesse Taylor in Cedar Creek last Sunday. Jesus saved a soul and Satan lost a good right arm. They all cried hallelujah when Jesse's head went under. Because this time he went under for the Lord. I mean, we were a mess. Bro. We just... But then... He found this guy on the Christian radio station, had this old gravelly voice by the name of Oliver B. Green. My dad, he got his Bible college education, driving back and forth work, just listening to Oliver B. Green on the radio. Somebody gave us paper called The Sword of the Lord. Dad kept studying the Bible. He began to hear messages and go to conferences where some of the things that he was involved in was being challenged. And God began to work in his heart. You know, listen, if you listen to Oliver B. Green, get the sword of the Lord, read it, and study your Bible, you'll become an independent fundamental Baptist eventually. And he finally, I'm telling you this for a reason, he finally understood that the American Baptist Convention, why is it wrong being an American Baptist Convention? They're a charter member of the American Council of Churches, which is a member of the World Council of Churches, and they are still today. There's a lot of other reasons biblically not to be a part of a denomination, but that ought to settle it right there. So my dad went to that church and said, we're getting out of the American Baptist Convention. He explained the reasons why. And boy, we went into battle royal, brother, battle royal. That little core group people in that church didn't like the way dad was preaching, didn't like the direction he was taking the church. And man, it was on. And about the last six months he was there, he kept saying something. He probably heard Oliver B. Green say it, but he kept saying something. He kept saying, the day I can't preach what the Bible says from this pulpit, I'll go across the street, I'll go find a a tree stump somewhere, and I'll stand on that tree stump, and I'll preach the Bible from the tree stump. And he kept saying that and kept saying that. But the problem with keep saying that is sooner or later they'll take you up on it. They will. Had one of those famous American Baptist business meetings. Come on, some of you came out of all that stuff, you know. (laughs) This is the Wednesday night where my dad's been pastor now for two years. And Wednesday night, there's like 40 visitors that come. And he's thinking, this is great. We got a bunch of visitors. No, they're members that haven't been there in the last two years. He's never met them. But they can still vote. And I was out playing in the yard. They were having a business meeting. I was just a kid. So I don't know all that happened. But I know that the ride home was quiet. Kind of went like this, dads and moms. <laughs> you know, all four of us in the back. And you know, little kids, when you know something's on, you just better be quiet, you know. Okay. 
<laughs> this is the whole conversation on the way home, my mom. What are we going to do? I don't know. <laughs> That's when he decided he'd just start from scratch. Started the Blessed Oak Baptist Church that I pastored today in a guy's living room. Say, why did he start that church? Because the deacon that led the, you know, the coup got up the Sunday after they voted my dad out and said, if you like what Bob Ross was preaching or you want anything to do with that type of a direction, you're not welcome here either. And then dad's converts are calling him on the phone and said, preacher, they didn't just kick you out. They kicked all of us out. What do we do? And my dad said, I don't know. <laughs> they called the next week. What are we, we going to do? I don't know. Finally, Bob Swaby picked up the phone after about a month and said, Preacher, we really don't know what to do. And I don't know what God's will is. Would you just come one day? Would you just come? Would you just come one Sunday? I'll clear out the furniture in our living room. We'll set some chairs up. And if you'll just come preach one Sunday, and I'll put the word out. And if nobody shows up and God's not in it, we'll know it. But would you just come to my house and just preach one Sunday? One Sunday morning. My dad finally said, okay. Well, old Bob Swaby, you know, it's fun, Pastor Rednecks, you know. Old Bob Swaby, he had a tractor. And he went out in the woods. He took a chainsaw and he cut a tree off about this high. Then he took the log chain to the tree. And he hooked his tractor up and he dragged it out of the ground. Dragged it up, took a garden hose, sprayed the dirt off the roots as best he could, cleaned it all up, propped it up, built a base fort, built a top fort. My dad said, I'll come preach from a tree stump. He was going to give him a tree stump. Wow. <laughs> My dad has no idea this is going on. Our car pulls into the driveway. There's several vehicles. Dad's looking around. Mom's looking around. We're looking around. I'm a little kid. I don't know what's going on. We walk into the front door of Bob Swaby's house to his living room. He's got chairs set up everywhere. My dad looks up and there's that pulpit. That nasty, I mean, it was nasty. That nasty old stump pulpit. There's still dirt, sap, sap coming out of the sides of it. My dad walked up there, laid that big King James Holy Bible down, preached the first message of the Blessed Hope Baptist Church, Jasonville, Indiana, in May 13, 1973. And uh, he, he, my dad wasn't a, a pulpit pounder, but that morning he kept pounding the pulpit. I thought, man, my dad got the spirit, you know. I mean, <laughs> well, I've never seen him this exercised, you know. He told me later, I said, Dad, what was going on? He said, ants were crawling out of the tree, <laughs> stomping. He said, crawling across. He said, listen to me. The Bible says... If you're not saved, get saved today. <laughs> we used that pulpit for the first five years of the church. We built a new auditorium. Thought that thing was a little rugged to be in the, the new, so, but, but dad kept it back in his office. Every once in a while on an anniversary Sunday, we'd drag it out. We'd walk in and we'd say, you know what we're going to get tonight? Listen, and I'm done. We're going to get some tree stump preaching. When's the last time 
Sir, you've done some tree, tree stump preaching. What's that? That's where you just mentally pack your bags, carrying them to the pulpit, set it down on either side, open the Bible and say, you know what? The Lord's able to take care of us. God sent, God sent me to preach his book and represent him for who he is. And if that hair lips everybody in the county, it's going to have to hair lip everybody in the county. But I'm going to have the courage of my convictions and I'm going to stand up for the Lord. Young men, we need some Elisha's. We won't go into chapter number 19, don't have time, but that mighty man of God got discouraged. You know why? Because he looked at a whole bunch of people and said, if God be God, serve him. If Baal, then serve him. And a bunch of people just sat there and looked at him. He did all, the, he did all of the praying and all of the slaying. He got all three gas tanks on empty. Come on. You ever been there? I mean, physically he was shot. Just read this chapter and think about what he went through physically that day. Spiritually he was sapped. Emotionally, mentally, just done. He didn't run in First Kings chapter 19 because he was scared of Jezebel. He was... Say, how do you know that? Because when God said, why are you here? He said, I'm the only one. Nobody will stand. Come on, church member. Is your preacher feeling like he's the only one? He's up there preaching his heart out, and you can't get, even give it out a holy grunt. Come on, sir. you got to look over and get your wife's permission to say amen. Stand with your preacher. Stand with your preacher. Now, God in chapter 19 said, you just need some rest, so just rest. I'll feed you. you just, let's get that physical tank back up. You need to get up on that mountain, and you need to... Get a fresh vision of me. Let's get that spiritual tank filled up. At the end of that chapter, you know what he says? You need a young man. You need an Elisha. So here's where he's at. When you come down off this mountain, you go throw your mantle on him. And he's going to serve alongside you and be a blessing and encouragement to you. There's older preachers all across this room. They're just hanging on. And they're looking in their rearview mirror and they're trying to find somebody that's going to climb the mountain with them. Come on, young man. Come on. But you got your dreams. You've got your direction. Come on, you're the one always saying, well, I don't see anything wrong. I don't see anything wrong. I don't see anything wrong with it. That's not what Elijah was like. We need young men that will train under a generation of Elijah's. Not get online and criticize the generation of Elijah's. But go sit down at their feet and serve them and learn from them. And catch their mantle when they go. And carry on the great work of God that's continued generation from generation. I think there's some young men that God may be calling into the ministry. By the way, I can't call you. Your youth pastor can't call you. Your pastor can't call you. Only God can call you. And I think God's trying to call young men, but we're so full of the flesh and full of ourselves and full of our own plans, we won't even give it some consideration. Brother, it's a wicked shame. You go to the average Bible college, I don't know what it is here, but you've got usually two-thirds, one-thirds. You've got two-thirds young ladies. There's more young ladies that have enough Christianity to lay everything aside and give everything to God. And you do a bunch of young men that are hooked on the por- on porter on their cell phone and they can't get past their own flesh to consider anything bigger than themselves. 
We need a generation of young men who will come down and get clean. Get right. Die to self. Stop criticizing your preacher. Stop criticizing your mom and dad. Get right with God. Get right with authority. Get in a place where God can call you and use you. Because these old gray heads are passing off the scene. And a lot of them are discouraged. And if they had one young man in their church that would just come up next Sunday and say, Preacher, I just want you to know I got your back. By the way, anything around here that you're doing that you don't need to be doing, you let me do it. Let me carry the burden. Let me help you, Preacher. I'll shine your shoes. I'll wash your car. I'll cut the grass. I'll do whatever you want to do. That's the kind of young man that God will one of these days turn into another alliance. we got to quit. The four prophets of Mount Carmel. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Pulpit. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the word and hearing the word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, the world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to The Baptist Pulpit.